Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Apologies about that. It's great to be with all you lovely people on such a beautiful day to worship the Lord together. Let's go over some announcements. This week, our volunteers will be delivering meals on wheels to those in need. Thank you to all our volunteers. There is a need to fill the administrative assistant or secretary's position. The trustees are seeking that, asking that if you're interested, please let the office know as soon as possible. There will be the monthly hymn sing tonight and college and career this Tuesday at 7 o'clock. Starting next Sunday, we will have nursery during the Sunday school hour. Our Easter egg hunt is also about a month away. If you're interested in donating individually wrapped candies, please drop it off in the church office. And if you're interested in helping, please let those involved know. That's all for today. Thank you. Two reminders. Uh, this morning during the Sunday school hour here in the sanctuary, there will be a congregational question and answer session with Pastor Jay. And this Wednesday, March 6th, there will be a special business meeting starting at 6 p.m. when we will vote on the motion that the congregation of Quinton Baptist Church accept Pastor Jason Heckley as our senior pastor. So Sunday school hour, question and answer, Wednesday night, the vote. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to gather with brothers and sisters in this house of worship. You alone, O oh Lord, are worthy of all of our worship. And I pray that everything that's done during this hour will bring honor and glory to you. In Christ's name, amen. John writes in his gospel, John 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, so that we may believe. Stand and sing with us, please.
be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a privilege it is to stand on your promises every day. Thank you so much, Father, for the love that you have for us, that you've shown to us in Jesus Christ. I thank you for the privilege of coming before the one who created this entire universe that we're in, one whose power is beyond anything we can imagine, and yet one who cares for us and loves us and watches over us. And Father, we know that we fall short so often of what you've called us to. And so Father, we know that at times we've sinned, maybe this week, maybe today, and Father, we want to ask you to show us our sin, and, and Father, help us to come to you right now in repentance and ask for your forgiveness. And Father, we have many needs. Our world has many needs. As we look around it, there are so many things that, that we wish were different. Father, we pray for those who are in areas of war, areas of poverty, areas of immense suffering. And Father, we just pray your presence. We pray, Father, for the gospel to go out to those places and to all parts of the world. We pray, Father, for our own nation that needs to come back to you. In fact, there are many who never were there, but Father, we just pray that people will come to Jesus Christ and come to faith in our country as well as around the world. Father, we have many needs, personal needs sometimes, but a lot of health needs we know about. We pray for Arlene today, Father, and just pray for her chemo treatments to go well, Lord, and um, we just pray that you'll work out the complications that she's having, and, and Lord, that you'll strengthen her, that you will be glorified in her. We pray for uh, Ed Plummer's father, uh, Harold, with leukemia. Just, Father, be working in that situation as well. Father, you know the best beyond anything we know, and we ask you to work in that situation. We we pray for Bruce, Bruce's friend and boss, uh, Ron. We pray, Father, that he will progress faster, that he will continue to heal. And we just ask, Lord, that you'll be working in his life. We pray for his physical and spiritual health, Lord, uh, that he will know Jesus in his life. And we think of our missionary of the month today, Skip and Rosie Kite. We pray, Father, for you to be working in their lives, give them success, give them encouragement as they serve on the field. We also want to mention today um, Herb uh, Corden, who passed away, Father, and we just pray that you'll be with the family, be with Mindy, and Lord, we ask you to be working in that situation today as well. Father, we, each one of us here has needs of some kind or other. Sometimes we just, sometimes they're too painful to mention, sometimes they seem too trivial to mention, but neither one of those is beyond your care, Lord. So we bring them before you, we ask you to work in each life here today, and Father, as, as we go forward with our music and the message, Lord, may each heart be touched. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to sing songs about God's wonderful word. Please stand. As we sing, children in first through third are dismissed for Children's Church.
Please be seated. Turn to Isaiah, the 40th chapter. Isaiah chapter 40, I'll be reading verses 1 through 8. It's good to hear all those pages turning. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Thank you, Mike, for that robust reading. I love that. The Word of God isn't just a, something that you can just sort of mumble through, right? It's something that has meaning to us, and so it's great to hear it read like that. Well, I didn't have my Bible over by me, so I had to turn to it after you. You guys are ahead of me a little bit. But I like hearing the pages turn as well. Now, if you don't know who I am because you weren't here last week, I'm not Pastor Jay. Say, so, right, we can tell that, right? Okay. Um, I'm not Pastor Jay. I'm Dan Baldwin. I was the pastor at Cohancy Baptist Church until about a year ago when I retired. If you are a guest with us today, welcome. I was a guest a little under a year ago when I first came here back in, well, actually, we came on vacation too, so it wasn't the first time we were here. But anyway, we've been coming since last summer, and it's a wonderful church, a wonderful group of people. I do encourage you to plug in. If you want to find out what a church is like, you have to plug in. You can't just come to the service Sunday and walk away and think you know the church. You have to plug in and get to know people. So I encourage you to do that. If you haven't already done that, many of you I know have. And I'm glad for all of you who are regular attenders too. We need everybody to come together and encourage one another in our walk with the Lord. So I'm glad you're here today. Well, let me ask you something. Do you, son, you don't have to answer this out loud, but do you sometimes get discouraged with what's going in the, on in the world around you today. Yeah, a lot of us get a little discouraged when we look at the world around us. And we can look at all different areas of the world around us, and, and maybe we'll even get depressed here. So let's see if we can go that direction for a little while. Um, but on, think about the international front. If you w watch the news, some of you are really, I can't do this. You watch the news in the evening. I, I can't handle it, so I just don't do it. But if you watch the news in the evening on the international front, you see there's wars going on, right? You have the, the war uh, going on where Russia invaded Ukraine about two years ago, and that's still ongoing. And then you have, you have the Hamas terrorists who attacked Israel, and that war was about a year ago, I think it started. And so that war is also going on. And if that's not discouraging enough, we see that there are many, uh, call them elitists or whatever, and 
and many college students who really support the terrorists in this, in this conflict. And that can be a little discouraging. Now, I know they, they have some, sometimes some good ideas, but I'm just saying supporting terrorists and what they did just is hard to imagine. The United Nations sometimes seems to be on the terrorist side in that war. So that's discouraging. And then, then you have things like, you know, the trade is affected because the, um, you have shipping through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal that's had some issues. Uh, we see China. China's rattling its sabers at Taiwan nowadays. You wonder what's going to go on there. All kinds of things on the international front. But we don't have to go that far out, do we? We can come back closer to home on, on the uh, U.S. front. Look at the political area where there's all kinds of division in politics and the differences have, sh have sharpened over the years. If you want to go against what's politically correct today in our nation, you get what is called canceled. All right? They'll, they'll cancel you if you go against what some of the people want. Uh, try to have a civil discussion with someone who disagrees with you. Uh, that's a difficult thing to do nowadays. We don't want to have civil conversation. Okay, consider another area. Consider abortions. What is abortion? Well, abortion is the purposeful ending of human life in the womb. That's what it is. Let's call it what it is. Okay? Uh, it's a genetically unique individual with their own DNA in the womb, and their life is ended in abortion. Now, we all, we all thought that the Dobbs decision, remember the Dobbs decision? We thought, man, that's great. It's going to fix a lot of things. Well, it, it was a good thing. I'm glad it happened. But then we turn around and we see all these, these um, things going in the other direction because pro-abortion legislation in the states has become a big thing. Certainly, New Jersey is a pro-abortion state. So we've seen some of those things happen. Instead of calling abortion what it is, it's called a woman's reproductive rights. What about the child's rights, the baby's rights? By the way, there's every chance there's somebody in here that's had an abortion. God can forgive any sin through Jesus Christ. I want you to know that. But still, those kind of things are discouraging to us. Another area, the moral revolution that's going on around us. Men calling themselves women are competing in women's sports. How ridiculous. This is insanity. When you have a swimming contest in Pennsylvania where the winner is a man who calls himself a woman, but when she's, he's, I almost said she, when he's standing there, when he's standing there, you can tell the difference. The physique is completely different. By the way, I haven't seen much of a reversal of that where a, a woman wants to call herself a man in order to compete in men's sports, and I always wondered why that is. I think we, we probably know. But that man won first place. Clearly looks like a man, has a man's DNA. There's no denying that. But no one can say he's a man because he says he's a woman. It's insanity, folks. Marriage between two men or two women is celebrated. Not just tolerated or accepted, it's celebrated today. I find that discouraging in the world around me. Christians who take God's word seriously are increasingly looked down on or, and even discriminated against. I recently read an article complaining that Christians believe our rights come from God rather than the government. Complaining? 
Who said rights come from the government? Even our, our Declaration of Independence says where do these unalienable rights come from? Our Creator, right? People have forgotten what happened at the foundation of our country. Religious freedoms are being uh, challenged, uh, in fact, even violated. Samuel, uh, Justice Samuel Alito warned a while back that Christians are facing likely persecution, and then more recently he said it's beginning. It's beginning. We're now seeing it. And then there are personal conflicts. You know, relationship issues that we, we all have to deal with at times with coworkers or family members or friends or schoolmates or, or whoever. Conflicts that happen cl really close to home. We have some of those too, don't we? And I could go on and on. Are you discouraged yet? Aren't you glad you came today? You know, a few months ago, Lori and I were, were eating at the Amish Market in Bridgeton, and there was a plaque on the wall that I noticed that said, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And I began to delve into just what that was all about, because it caught my eye, caught my attention. I had never really delved into that passage before. And it was written, this whole passage that we looked at today, that we started looking at in Isaiah 40, is written to... God's people, Israel, and the context is a time when things aren't very good for them. It's a time when they might be discouraged, when life is bleak. Now, now the first 35 chapters of Isaiah largely warn of judgment, and that judgment is against Israel and also against other nations, although there are hints in there of a time when Israel is going to be restored in those first 35 chapters. Then we come to chapter 36 to 39, it's about King Hezekiah. He was an interesting king to read about in Scripture. But King Hezekiah, when, when the, uh, um, the uh, king of Assyria, Sennacherib, came to attack, he turned to the Lord through Isaiah. And so the Lord sent an angel to, well, you can read about it, but to wipe out a lot of the army of, of Sennacherib. But when later on King Hezekiah has this entourage that comes from Babylon and he's filled with pride, and he shows them all his wealth, all the gold all throughout his kingdom because of his pride. And God sends him a warning through Isaiah. And we can look back just into chapter 39, just before chapter 40, uh, in verses, 30, or verses 6 and 7. There it says, Behold, the days are coming. This is Isaiah talking to, to King Hezekiah. The days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon, nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. In other words, the judgment that, that God's been warning about in, in Isaiah, it's going to come on this next generation, and that's exactly what does happen if we know scripture and know history. Now, as we come to chapter 40, we're, we're transported into a time decades later a time way after this. Uh, Isaiah transports us along with him uh, there. Jerusalem has already fallen to Babylon as we come to chapter 40. Many men, women, and children were killed and, and sometimes in horrific ways that we won't talk about. The best and brightest of the, the Israelites were pressed into service to King Nebuchadnezzar. I like to call him King Neb. It's a little bit easier. But they were pressed into his service. People like Daniel... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were 
some of the best and brightest, and there were many others. And, and most Israelites were hauled away into Babylonian captivity. They became servants of their enemies, living among them. Their God was ridiculed because they said the God of the Babylonians has beaten the God of the Hebrews. And so they ridiculed their God, poo-pooed him as nothing. Years and decades had passed like this. Nothing was changing. They saw no way out. This is all they knew. They didn't expect anything to change because how could anything change? But chapter 40 brings a message of comfort. It starts off like this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. All that you're going through is coming to an end, is the message here. So despite the hopelessness of the picture, God hasn't forgotten or forsaken his people. Excuse me. So let's dig into this passage, all right? The first thing I want you to notice is that God is in charge. Okay, God's in charge here. Despite the hopelessness around them, regardless of the might of their rulers, which was undoubted, no matter the, the paganness and the degradation of the culture around them, even though they largely live in poverty, despite all those things, God is in charge. The grass withers and the flower fades. Folks, this isn't about grass and flowers. This is about people. It's about people. Verse 6 says, all flesh is grass. Did you see that? Flesh is people or grass. Verse 7 says, the grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. This is about people. People are frail and temporary. No matter how powerful a person is, their end on this earth will come. Think, think about this. Who are the worst tyrants that you know from history? Think about the worst tyrants you know from history. Maybe it's Hitler or Lenin or Stalin or somebody else like that that you think about. Guess what, folks? They're all gone. And those tyrants who live today, guess what? They will be gone. Those who were subjecting the Israelites were like grass that withers and flower, flowers that fade. Their time in the sun would end, and it would end when God said it would end. That's when it would happen. That's the way it always works. It works that way today, too. By contrast, notice how God's described, really beginning in verse 9 to the end of the chapter. I'm going to look at verse 10 to begin with. It says, Behold, the Lord comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Look at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Who did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? The obvious answer is nobody who could. Look at verse 25. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And then verse 28 says, have you not heard? Have you not, 
Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. That's the description of our God. God's saying, you think these people are in control? Don't be ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. They're nothing compared to me, says God. God is, God is powerful from any, more powerful than anything we can imagine. Sometimes we think of God as, as man writ large, as man somehow a superman kind of thing. But, you know, God's far beyond any kind of superman. We can't even imagine his power and his strength. Imagine someone who from nothing can create our universe. That's amazing to even think about. God is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no ending. He just is. He is the I am. Well, what about the gods of the Babylonians and the Chaldeans, uh, their oppressors? Look at verse 18. It says in verse 18, if I get to the right chapter, to whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol. Craftsman, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He was too impoverished for an offering, chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. We see the contrast. You know, we don't put our trust in idols today. At least we don't think so. Not, not the images and things like that, but people have all kinds of idols. There are all kinds. Money, status, government can be thought of as one. Ourselves, we can think of ourselves as being the, we can make ourselves into an idol, living for ourselves. But these are like worthless idols in comparison to the living God who we worship. The contrast between God and people and things, and people, the things people put their trust in is, is clear. Look at verse 21. It says, do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it, has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a, a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on them. In the late 1900s, yeah, late 1900s, that's a good thing. In, in 1990, um, Edward Welsh wrote a book called When People Are Big and God is Small. Of the late 1990s, he wrote this. Here's what he writes in there. He says, we fear people because they can expose and humiliate us. We fear people because they can reject, ridicule, and, or despise us. We fear people because they can attack, oppress, or threaten us. But these three reasons have one thing in common. They see people as bigger, that is more powerful and significant than God. And out of the fear that creates in us, we give other people the power and right to tell us what to think, feel, think, and do. Do you fear people? The solution is to behold your God. 
Do you fear what's happening in this world around you? The solution is to behold your God and see who He is. Read some of the Psalms that talk about our God. It's a wonderful place to go. We live in a fallen world where sin abounds. There's sin all around us. Every one of us is affected by it. Both outside of ourselves and within ourselves, we face it. But God is still in charge today. And just as God was working out his plan for the Israelites, he's working out his plan for you and me. And we may not understand at all what he's doing. We may not even see it in our lifetimes. Many of the Israelites never saw God rescue them. They lived their entire lives in that. But God was at work. And we serve a God who loves us today. He sent his son to redeem us by his shed blood. That's love. He works through both the good and bad circumstances of life to conform us into the image of his son, to make us more like Jesus. He's at work doing that in us. And he's prepared a place for Christ's followers to live forever with him. We've been talking about that in our small group on, about heaven and what that's going to be like. What an amazing thing to look forward to. When you come to grips with who God is, with his, with his power, with his goodness, with his love for people, you realize that he will accomplish his plan for our eternal blessing, just as he's decided he will. And, and nothing and no one in this world can prevent it because he is in charge. Which brings me to the second thing that I want to point out here is that God's word is eternal. God's word is eternal. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word, it says, of our God will stand forever. The book of Isaiah is filled with promises. Promises that Israel will be restored. Both, both before and after chapter 40, we see some of those promises. But imagine being one of them living in cap captivity, living in that time, and you live in a pagan culture that, as I said earlier, believes your God has been defeated by theirs. There, there's absolutely no indication that your captivity is ever going to end. You're in a position of weakness. Your captors have all the power. You have none. God's past promises of rescue might even seem hopelessly wrong. It's just not happening. How could it possibly happen? But God's message through Isaiah is one of hope. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God has promised them deliverance, and we know that God does deliver them. He delivers them just as he promised. But as we can continue to read the book of Isaiah, we're not going to read it all, but I'm going to just tell you a little bit of what's there in Isaiah. As we continue to do that, we see that God's promised an even greater deliverance in the book of Isaiah. He speaks of one who will be despised and rejected, who will bear our griefs and carry our sorrows, who will be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquity, whose chastisement will bring us peace, whose wounds will bring us healing, one who will bear our iniquity and be led like a lamb to the slaughter, who will bear the sin of many and, and who, who will make intercession for transgressors. He promises to send Jesus, and he does. 
And because of who God is, we can trust him to fulfill his promises because his word stands forever. It never changes. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says this in a wonderful way. I just love the way it says this. It says, for as the rain, for as the rain and the snow came, come down from heaven and do not return but there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word will accomplish its purposes, he says. It's a promise. The authority of God's word is seen throughout Scripture. Just think of how Genesis begins. God said, let there be light. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And creation goes on that way. The voice of God, the, sp the spoken word of God, creates our universe. Go to Revelation, the last chapter of Revelation says these words are trustworthy and true. Again, we can trust God's word. Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of, of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, this is a great encouragement to me when I preach, because folks, as long as I preach God's word, I know that God will use it to accomplish his purpose. As long as Jay preaches God's word, we know that God will use it to accomplish his purpose, because Pastor Jay will be bringing us what's here in his word. The Holy Spirit will change hearts the Holy Spirit will change me as His Word penetrates and does its work in me and in you. The entire Bible is God's Word to us right here. He's given it to us in written form. I'm glad He's done that. In 2 Timothy 3:16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's all from Him, His Word. But most profoundly, God's Word appears in a person. John 1, beginning at verse 1, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus here is referred to as the Word. He forever carries the authority of God's Word. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about this. It says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, just like prophet, the prophet Isaiah that we were reading from today. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by what? The Word of His power. By the Word of His power. Jesus is the ultimate Word of God to us. His life, 
a perfect, sinless life that he lived is God's word to us. His death, that substitutionary death, paying the penalty for our sins on the cross is God's word to us. His resurrection, his victory over death, and the promise that we too can live forever that comes with that, that's God's word to us. This promise is for all who repent and believe in Jesus. Now, to repent is simply to change direction. It's to go turn from living for yourself or for whatever you think is what you should live for to saying, no, I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ. I'm going to believe in Him and what He did on the cross. I'm going to live for King Jesus. That's what it's about. That's what it means to repent and believe in Jesus. Today, I'm proclaiming to you the Word of God. The Word of God. It's the powerful Word of God. It's the new good news of Jesus Christ. Will you pay attention to my words? Because I'm trying to give you these words from the Bible. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49, He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock, and when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. You see, you can know God's word inside out and still die in your sins and face judgment. John 3.36 tells us that. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You see, belief, real belief, leads to obedience. If you don't have that, then the wrath of God remains on, on us. So be one who hears God's word and does them from a transformed heart, a heart that's been changed. You know, we live in a culture today that increasingly disregards God's word. Doesn't pay any attention to it. God's word is continue to, it's considered to be out of step, isn't it? People don't want to live by God's word. We, we've grown beyond that. That's for the people who haven't grown, haven't really seen what's going on. We know better today. Those silly people at Quinton Baptist Church, there's something wrong with them because they believe in God's word, and we know we, we've gone beyond that. But Jesus says this in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The words of anybody around us will pass away. God's words will not pass away. The, the ideas of those around us will pass away. God's words will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's words, Christ's words, will not pass away. They are the firmest thing we can build our lives on, God's words.
we have a choice to make. Do we bend with our culture? Do we compromise with it? Do we, do we adopt unbiblical ideas because that's eh, what everybody's believing now? Do we do that or do we stand on God's word even when the world thinks we're nuts? Because the world does think we're nuts if we stand on God's word. Do we trust in Jesus? Do we live with him forever? Do we live for him forever? Do we let God's word guide us? I like Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But is it a lamp to my feet and a light to my path? Can you say that? You know, I don't know what's going on in each of your lives today. The truth is we all have times of weakness, times of hurt, times of sorrow, times we struggle to live for the Lord, but when what's going on around us and in our lives fills us with discouragement, which it, it can, discouragement, pain, and even fear, notice how Isaiah 40 ends. Look at Isaiah 40 beginning at verse 29. It says, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Lean on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust His Word. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the Word of our God will stand forever. Forever is a long time, folks. Forever is a long time. So be comforted. Be encouraged this morning. Let your confidence be in our amazing God and His eternal Word. Let that be your foundation. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's written, that we can open our Bibles and see what you have to say to us. Father, I thank you for each person here today. And, and Lord, I believe that we're each here today for a reason. Part of that reason is to hear your word and to respond to it. So, Lord, I pray for each person here to respond in the way that your Holy Spirit is working in them to respond. Father, may I respond to your word in a way that glorifies you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. As we prepare to partake in communion, may this song help us to remember God's amazing gift of grace to us. Please stand. Amen. 
Please be seated.
this time we're going to celebrate communion together. And communion is a family meal. It's a family meal among believers. It's not for unbelievers. If you're not a follower of Christ today, I encourage you to not partake of the communion with us. Not because we don't like you. Not, not, nothing like that. We love you. We would love to see you follow Jesus Christ. But it's a family meal that we're participating in together. If you are a follower of Christ, it is for you. Paul tells us also to examine ourselves when we take communion together. We need to examine our hearts. We need to take it, he says, in a worthy manner. Make sure that there's nothing between us and our God and nothing between us and somebody else. So one of the things that I like to do is to take a moment of silence, and I've noticed Pastor Jay does this, a moment of silence. We can go to the Lord and say, Lord, show me any sin that's in my life. Let's get right with the Lord before we take communion. If there's something between you and someone else in your heart, seek forgiveness from the Lord for any part you might have had in that and, and commit to going to whoever it is and doing your part, whatever you can, to re remedy that situation so that you have nothing between you and somebody else uh, either. So let's have a, just a moment of silent prayer right now. Amen. Another thing we need to do as we to partake in the right manner is we need to be, have our focus on what Christ has done for us on the cross. That's what it's about. What did Jesus do for us on the cross? So let's be thinking about that and frankly celebrating what Jesus did for us uh, as we partake together. I do ask that you hold your portion so that we can partake of it together. Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, For I received from the Lord... What I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. Ron, could you pray for the bread?
Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper. Joe, can you pray for the cup? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're the creator of the heavens and the earth. You created each one of us. Father, we thank you for sending your son to shed his blood to cover our sins. We ask your blessing now upon this time, upon this offering that we give to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He goes on to say, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. God's ancient words are forever true, and they change me, and they can change you. Please stand as we sing together.
ancient words, let's hang on to them because they bring the path, they take us down the path of eternal life, both here and forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your ancient words that we can trust. I pray, Father, for each person here, Lord, that, that you will speak to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget Q&A with Pastor Jay. <laughs>